You know how important it is to ensure that your supplements are genuine, safe, and effective. That's why I partnered with Fullscript, an online dispensing platform that only offers curated professional-grade brands that I know and trust. The very same supplements that I prescribe to my patients and take myself. Never counterfeit or expired, always stored and shipped correctly. Just go to DearHoffmanStore.com to start your free Fullscript account. Buying through Fullscript offers fast shipping, optional refill reminders, a mobile-friendly site. It's safe, secure, and HIPAA compliant and offers world-class support. Fullscript also gives you access to my custom targeted supplement protocols that combine the products that I recommend to address specific needs, heart health, immune support, and much more. Just go to DearHoffmanStore.com to sign up for your free Fullscript account. You'll get access to the supplements and features you need to help you achieve your wellness goals. That's DearHoffmanStore.com. DearHoffmanStore.com. Welcome back to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. It's part two of our discussion with Dr. Tanya Dempsey, uh, who uh, is an expert on the subject of MCAS, mast cell activation syndrome. In part one, we talked a little bit about what it was and you know how uh, many uh, bewildering manifestations it has. It seems to affect uh, all systems uh, in the body. Uh, but uh, in part two, I want to focus on some possible solutions. So, uh, well, first of all, it, how do you how do you diagnose this? Is this a clinical diagnosis, or is, are there tests? Or is there some simple blood tests that can indicate yes, indeed, you have with one hundred percent precision uh, that you have MCAS? Uh, it's a it's a little more complicated. I mean, I would definitely say that the uh, clinical um, piece of this is, is, is important, you know, and, and for all patients, we take a history starting, uh, before birth, uh, and I think that's important both from an integrative perspective, but just also there are so many things that can, um, can be triggers or can, can sort of present and, and, and maybe be a contributor to, to their condition. So the, the history and then the clinical manifestations, but it really, in the ideal world, I, I would do the testing to get the diagnosis. I think having the diagnosis, um, gives more um, support for for treatment, more options for treatment if you have a true diagnosis. But we are finding it more and more difficult to get that diagnosis. Um, we have we published in 2020 uh, with 40. I was a co-author with 42 other um, authors on the diagnosis of mast cell activation syndrome, a global consensus two. Um, so, so if there's a global consensus two, uh, there's a, there's a consensus one. So in other words, there are differing views on how to diagnose, uh, MCAS. Um, and we take a little bit of a, of a broader stance on how to, um, how to diagnose in terms of the number of things you can test for, some of them being blood, urine, uh, biopsy, uh, staining. There are various things that need to be done. And you really do need someone who has some familiarity with, with this. Um, but, but, but sure, like there are going to be patients who are in areas of the world or areas of the country that are not going to have access to that. And I think that some of the treatment, uh, can be initiated, uh, without a formal diagnosis, at least initially, and then kind of working towards the formal diagnosis. Cause, uh, you know, I'm a, 
I like data and I like to be able to support mm-hmm. what I'm doing and I want to always make sure that I'm not missing something else. Um, but, but yes, in this paper, we go, we outline the, you know, the diagnostic criteria, the different testing that can be done, how we do the testing. Um, and then, you know, once you have support, at least for, for the diagnosis, then, um, you know, then we talk about, uh, treatment. Mm-hmm. So it, it sounds like can, uh, it's not exactly cookbook. In other words, it's not like, you know, uh, three out of five of these tests positive indicates uh, your definite whatever. But uh, and some of the tests right. can be negative, which kind of throws you for a loop because you go, oh, you know, I'm testing for histamine. This person doesn't have a very high histamine. Uh, but uh, then there are the, the, the clinical characteristics, you know, some signs based on a physical exam, like a patient might have dermatographia, which is like you can kind of scratch them and a wheel appears on their arm. That might increase your, your suspicion for this. Uh, but uh, uh, there's no uh, precise cookbook uh, diagnosis for it. And, and some of the tests, frankly, are a little esoteric, a little expensive, and, uh, you know, sometimes uh, can be misleading. I, that's my impression. Um, yes, I, I think that I think that's absolutely true. So, so this is this is the challenge with um, this disease is that um, it is uh, very complex. And so diagnosing it is going to be very complex. I think that um, I think there's been a little bit too much emphasis on histamine um, and histamine intolerance. And I hear all these things and I certainly talked about it and I think it's not, it's important. Uh, but this is so much bigger than histamine. And so, you know, I've had patients who, you know, say, well, I don't have an elevated histamine and, um, or I don't have symptoms that seem like histamine. So I must not have this. Or, right. And I think that's, Doing a disservice to the patients because then we're, you know, underdiagnosing. Um, tryptase is this other thing that a lot of people talk about, which is, uh, it is an enzyme made by mast cells. And, uh, we were really, a lot of, um, of, of physicians were really, uh, really adamant about, uh, using tryptase as a diagnostic criteria for MCAS. And so in the consensus one group, you know, they feel very strongly that, that tryptase should increase during an, during an attack, um, which actually doesn't make really that much sense when you really think about what tryptase is and does. And, um, so there are people who, you know, I, I get emails all the time about, you know, they have normal tryptase, so, I, you know, they're told that they can't have MCAS, and so it's really, yeah, it's really complicated, and, and I think that the more we keep an open mind, um, and the more we start to understand what these mast cells do, and how they work, and the complexity, I think then we, then it's better for the patient to understand that they're, you know, well, the, pur- the, the purpose of diagnosis is to lead to a, a therapeutic approach. And I think uh, one of the ways to validate a diagnosis is to undertake, you know, stepwise a, a therapeutic approach and see if patients get better. And if they don't, you're maybe barking up the wrong tree. But let's start with uh, diet because we've certainly seen the popularization of the so-called low histamine diet. And, and that, you know, as you mentioned, you know, they're different levels you know some patients uh, get substantial symptom amelioration with just a simple uh, you know diet and lifestyle change can you talk about that yeah 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 and i and i want to i want to mention something you, you know you said well maybe if you're um you know you start treatment and you're not getting a response you know maybe maybe it is the wrong diagnosis and i i want to actually just emphasize a point that for a lot of some of these patients, it takes a lot of things to actually stabilize their mast mm-hmm. cells. Mm-hmm. And so, 
I used to have this sort of feeling like, okay, if I tried uh, some antihistamines, I tried maybe these leukotriene inhibitors, and we could talk about those, or if I if I try these various different classes of, of mast cell stabilizers, chromalin, ketotifen, and I tried a bunch of things, and I was not getting the patient better, that the maybe, maybe MCAP was not their primary thing. And I've learned over time that uh, I'm still, it still could be MCAS. I just haven't, I haven't mm-hmm. uh, done enough for their mast cells. So I wanted well, just that, to make a point about that. Yeah, I mean, there's an expression in environmental medicine, I'm sure you're familiar with it, is uh, if you're sitting on uh, five uh, tacks uh, and you take away four of them, right. uh, you're still not going to feel a heck of right. a lot better. Uh, so, you know, you, you got to get at, you know, the root causes in some cases because there may be something that continues uh, to perpetuate symptoms in the face of what seems like adequate treatment. Uh, so, yeah, and there's so many pathways exactly. to wellness. So, uh, okay, so, so diet, exactly. I mean, the, what's that so, low so, histamine yeah. diet? And, you know, what, I mean, it's got some efficacy for some people. Uh, and it, I, I think okay. you probably apply the diet uh, universally. Uh, in support of all the other therapies, right? At, at first pass with some of these patients. Oh, oh, yeah, and and, and listen, I've, I've I've written blogs on on um, low histamine diet, and what I would say is that I, I think there's no perfect diet for everybody, and I have patients who um, eat histamine, some histamine foods, and are fine, and and not others, and so there's obviously it's very nuanced. Um, I think there's a real link between insulin resistance. And mast cell activation syndrome, and I, I shouldn't say I think I know. Actually, in the literature, there's there's a lot of supporting evidence for this, and I certainly see that in the patients. And so, I think managing insulin is really key. I think it's maybe more key than the histamine part. Hmm, the more and more I do this, the more I see that. But um, but but hist- but but again, there are going to be people who eliminating histamine in their diet is going to have an effect. Maybe it's going to be a great effect. Some patients need to eliminate salicylates, and some patients need to eliminate oxalates. Um, but but all those things may be important. Um, but I find that really, if I can lower their um, insulin, or, or actually make them more insulin sensitive, let's say let's say that way, make them more insulin sensitive. Maybe I have to do that by lowering their carbs. Maybe I have to do that by by increasing their protein. Um, I think actually that that has that can have a, a dramatic effect, and okay. so that's where that's where I'm going more and more. Okay, so I mean, diet I think is the foundation for everything. Uh, for sure. Then uh, there's this theory about something called DAO, diamine oxidase, and actually, you know, we we talked earlier about yep. the genetic cause. There probably is not one single gene. There's probably a you know statistically a, a some uh, assortment of genes that in combination may predispose. And DAO is not the end all and be all. It's a gene that's responsible for. Uh, my understanding is the breakdown of histamine. And some people are inefficient at breaking down histamine. So can you uh, address Correct. that with a, uh, a, a treatment? Yeah, well, you know, this is an enzyme that's found in the gut. Um, and so, you know, there's some thought that if you can't break down the histamine, you don't have this enzyme or enough of this enzyme, um, you're going to wind up with too much histamine in the gut, and then you're going to have these various, you know, gut manifestations. So there is there are products that um, that contain this diamine oxidase enzyme, and you know, for some patients, I, I, actually, I have patients without GI symptoms who get relief 
um, with that enzyme. It's just, again, bringing down maybe the histamine load. And for them, maybe histamine is a, is a big issue. You know, there's another gene. Um, so there are really two ways you can get rid of histamine in the body. Main two ways. One is digesting it down with diamine oxidase. And the other way is methylating it. Mm-hmm. with an enzyme called histamine and methyltransferase or HNMT. And there's an enzyme, I mean, there's a gene coding for this enzyme. And, and we have patients who have this genetic mutation, so they have trouble uh, with that methylation process. Um, and that has to be treated using methylation support, right? So those are the sort of the so B, the B vitamins, two, you know, right, primarily B six, exactly. twelve, you know, uh, uh, you know, methyl donors, uh, and right. correct, and, okay, correct. Uh, so, okay, so when it comes to antihistamines, you know, if, you, if you're sneezing, if you're, you know, got, uh, you know, itchy eyes, you know, you take an Allegra, you take a Claritin. Uh, why, why isn't that enough uh, for some of these patients with uh, MCAS? Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, some patients, uh, they just need higher dosages. So so one of the things that these antihistamines do is they block histamine. But the other thing they do is they actually bind to histamine receptors on the mast cell. And so they do have a stabilizing effect. They do, they can send a signal to the mast cell, okay, you know, cut it out, uh, stop making so much histamine. and But it also can block histamine in the tissue. So for some patients, it's just that they need to be dosed appropriately. You know, the over-the-counter stuff, you know, let's say Claritin says take one a day, you know, no more than one in 24 hours. And, and some patients um, with this condition, you know, they their muscles are so dysfunctional and there's so much histamine, they might need to take, you know, two Claritin twice a day or or two Claritin three times a day. So some of it is based on, on the dosing, I think. And then the other part is that, yeah, some people have more than just histamine at play. The, the, there are so many more mediators. And, mm-hmm. and really just trial and error, working through the various other uh, drugs or supplements that stabilize or block these various things. So, and there are Important. H1 and H2 uh, histamines. And mm-hmm. the old ulcer drugs, you know, uh, formerly... Uh, Pepsid, actually Pepsid is still available over the counter. Famotidine is one of the uh, blockers of the, you know, the, the other type of histamine that sometimes you need to take uh, both. And, you know, conventional allergists know this when patients have hives or something like that. Uh, they often prescribe uh, old fashioned ulcer medications along with uh, traditional uh, antihistamines. So that that could mm-hmm. be part of the strategy, mm-hmm. too. Oh, absolutely. And I think that actually hitting both H1, which are the uh, antihistamines that we're talking about, Claritin, Zyrtec, Allegra, Zizil, Benadryl, these are all uh, antihistamines that block the H1 receptor. Um, but combining them with these drugs that block the H2 receptor, like famotidine, and I heard recently that Zantac, which was really, uh, ranitidine is the generic, which was really a great drug for a lot of my patients. You're taking off the market. Taking off the market. Yeah. Uh, is now coming back. Oh, good. Okay. So we're on the lookout. We're on the lookout for that. Because it, was, yeah, it wasn't, the, it wasn't the, the, the drug per se that was toxic. It was just a, some problem in the manufacturing process. And uh, it wasn't, uh, they Correct. didn't look at the, uh, the provenance of the ingredients and, you know, the uh, chain of, the chain of custody of 
whatever the manufacturers. So now they I, maybe they, exactly. they will reintroduce a safe supply of Zantac, which worked for some patients. What about quercetin, natural uh, antihistamine? Uh, yeah, maybe a mast cell stabilizer. Do you find that it could play a role? Oh yeah, oh for sure. You know there are a number of these uh, antioxidants that that seem to be helpful. Uh, ex- Lysine mast cells and quercetin is certainly one of them. Luteolin is another one that we sometimes use. Uh, Fisetin is another one that's being talked about a lot. And I think they have, yeah, Fisetin, sorry. From from strawberries. I mean, it's originally, I mean, it's uh, strawberries are high in Fisetin. But strawberries may be a a high histamine food, so you want maybe to get the products that are the the Fisetin products, which now are appearing on on, on the marketplace over the counter. Yeah, and so look, I think they have their place. I think that um, they're 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 absolutely patients who have uh, a great response to them. Sometimes that's that's all they need. Sometimes they're using that in addition to these H one H twos. Um, but you know, they're they're not necessarily right for everyone. And I think again, some of it is trial and error, and some of it is understanding uh, some other things about them to see whether you know that's the right next step. But it can be these these things can be very very uh, potent. And, you know, and helpful. And there's certainly some early studies on it with COVID um, uh, using some of these, you know, products like quercetin. And, and you mentioned leukotriene inhibitors. I, I presume you're you're talking about things like Singular. Is that uh, correct? Is am I on the right correct. track? Correct. Yeah. So Singular yeah, uses it's like yeah. asthma medication, but sometimes um, uh, you know it can hit a different pathway that leads to uh, mast cell activation or the downstream effects of mast cells. Exactly. So, so one of the one of the chemical mediators that mast cells make is this leukotriene, and um, and so Montelukast, the Singular. There's a there's another drug called Zafirlukast, which is Accolate. They are these leukotriene receptor uh, antagonists. So they block the receptor so that when if the mast cell is releasing this leukotriene chemical that, that is being blocked. So that can be, for some patients, um, helpful, especially if uh, we think that the leukotrienes are one of the, the major mediators that they're producing. And, and recently you, you've written about uh, vitamin D. The, does vitamin D play a role yeah. in this? Uh, because it, it is, it, it's a, it does so many different things. It's kind of like the Swiss Army knife of uh, nutrition because it it really has an impact on immunity, both in terms of uh, helping us fight infectious diseases, but also regulating the immune system and autoimmunity. It seems to you know be a two edged sword on on the immune system. Yeah, and what's really interesting is that mast cells carry these VDR vitamin D receptors on their surface. And so they're very responsive to vitamin D. And those, those receptors are really important for how vitamin D acts through, through their anti-inflammatory, it's an anti-inflammatory pathway. So mast cells can be stabilized by vitamin D and, and destabilized if they don't have enough vitamin D. So that's certainly uh, one of the key things that I work on with these. My, many, many mast cell patients are vitamin D deficient, some severely vitamin D deficient. And, and sometimes that's our first approach, uh, finding a vitamin D that they can tolerate. Uh, so we have patients who don't tolerate vitamin D for some reason, right? Hmm. So this was wow. initially we were trying to figure out why 
doesn't everybody tolerate vitamin D? And what we found was that a lot of it had to do with the excipients that it's mixed with. Oh. So there, there are various um, magnesium stearate or microcrystalline cellulose or uh, different, uh, you know, like for the drops, there may be MCT oil, there may be olive oil. So what we started realizing is that people were not resp- uh, responding poorly to vitamin D. They were responding to what it was mixed with. So... So I really encourage patients who think they're, you know, having a problem tolerating vitamin D to find a form or get it compounded because you theoretically can't be intolerant to vitamin D because you right. can't live without it. Right. That That's an interesting uh, pearl because, uh, you know, it's kind of like uh, you need it, but you don't tolerate it. So, you know, that's kind of a conundrum. Exactly. Uh, Correct. What, what about the role of essential fatty acids? Because you mentioned leukotrienes, and from my uh, recollection, that uh, essential fatty acids and the omega-3s can kind of modulate these uh, inflammatory substances, their precursors and regulators. Mm-hmm. So is it you, mm-hmm. do you want to load your patients up on omega-3s? Is that a useful strategy sometimes? Oh, absolutely. And again, you know, making sure they tolerate it and there are little nuances to it. But um, I do think that omega-3s, uh, I think the SPMs are interesting in this in this realm as well. Pro-resolving mediators, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Pro-resolving mediators, yeah. Yeah. Um, can be specialized, I think it's pro-resolving mediators. Yep. So, um, yeah, no, absolutely. And, and a lot of um, the patients who suffer with this condition have various um, nutrient deficiencies. They are limited by their diet, if they, especially if they have GI symptoms, if they have food intolerances. They've gotten very, very narrow with what they can eat. And so they wind up with a lot of essential fatty acid deficiencies, amino acid deficiencies, and various vitamin and mineral deficiencies. And so sometimes just working on that, you know, can, can really make a huge difference. Well, wow. It's, it sounds like there's a, a lot involved. Am I missing any part of the big picture or is there some new innovations that you're excited about? Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, I think I think we cover them all. But you know what? I hope we continue to have new innovations and uh, new ways of, of approaching this. Because one of the things that is, is difficult is that sometimes, um, you know, you've, you've, you've hit all these different, you, you mentioned the five uh, tacks, right? So there are five tacks, you, you take one out, the other one out. Um, so there's still patients that, you know, we, we can't find that exact fit for either stabilizing their mast cell or, or getting to the root. And so I'm hopeful that there are some drugs on the horizon um, that uh, that look promising, that they're, they are being approved for other conditions, but they look like they might have some effect on mast cells. And so hopefully the future is bright with, with more things that we can use. Well, great stuff. And, and kudos to you for uh, being a beacon uh, to uh, some of these very challenging patients and to physicians uh, like myself who often have to grapple with them. Uh, this is introducing a whole new avenue of treatment and cure uh, for people who have sometimes seemingly very intractable problems. So that, I think you're doing some very, very important work. Keep it up. Thank really, you. We really, our Thank community so really uh, appreciates it. So once again, uh, resources available at uh, Dr. Tanya Dempsey. T a n i a is the spelling of Tanya Dempsey. D m p s e y dot com. Correct. And then there's uh, you have a correct. YouTube channel where you have some uh, very interesting discussions and lectures. Some are uh, more highfalutin uh, directed yes. to professionals, and some are more uh, you know uh, directed to uh, general public okay. and. Uh, people Correct. who may be suffering from MCAS. Uh, great stuff. And you're also uh, doing a great job, you know, teaching and communicating 
Um, more power to you. And we appreciate uh, very much your participation. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And thank you for the work that you do. Indeed. In well, getting all this information out to people. Yeah, that's, important. that's intelligent medicine's mission statement for sure. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, yeah. and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast.